0: This is the L2 Capital Podcast with Hedge Fund Manager, Marcelo Lopez. The L2 Capital Podcast focuses on potential opportunities in the market and brings to your industry leaders and an intelligent conversation about their respective areas of expertise. And now, here's your host, Marcelo Lopez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the L2 Capital Podcast. I have the pleasure to talk today to Anas al Haji, one of the most knowledgeable energy specialists I know of. I have been following Anas for a while now, and his views are very interesting. He's based in Texas, but he's frequently traveling to the Middle East and other regions, so he brings an informed and differentiated analysis when it comes to the energy sector. So, without any further ado, Anas, welcome to this program. It's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you.
0: Anas, we have a lot of things to discuss today. Uh, The impact of the coronavirus on the oil markets, uh, response from OPEC, shale, IMO, etc., But uh, I would really like to start this conversation by talking about crude quality matters. Uh, You are actually the first person I've heard saying that. Now, could you please explain to us what you mean by crude quality matters and how investors should think about it?
1: Sure. The problem we have is the International Energy Agency, the IEA and OPEC, and the Energy Information Administration in the U.S., EIA, they all predict like the, I'm going to use the expression of the IEA, explosive growth in shale oil production in the United States over the coming years. And they believe that that growth will be more than the growth of global oil demand which means that shale is going to cover all that growth in the coming years and we have flood of oil that is not correct for the following reason the first one is we don't have enough refining capacity to refine that oil shale is light sweet super sweet and condensates We already maxed out in the United States of refining. We call that refining wall. So we have reached the refining wall. And that's why the U.S. exports all the additions in production. Remember this, that the U.S. still import between 6.5 to 7 million barrels a day. So if they have enough domestically, why U.S. refiners are importing the foreign oil? They are importing it because it's a completely different quality they need to match their configuration. So... The same way we reached a refining wall in the United States, if shale oil production in the United States continues to grow as the IEA expects in the coming years, then we are going to have a refining wall worldwide. At that point, the U.S. cannot export any additions, and if their forecast is correct, then prices within the United States are going to collapse. So we're going to have a massive price differential between the international price and what's going on in the United States, and therefore, shell producers are f- forced to cut production, and therefore, they cannot ma- match the forecast of the IEA. The IEA response is, don't worry, refiners are going to invest more, expand, and they're going to handle that light-sweet Yes, we've seen some expansion. We've seen some flexible capacity basically being switched from medium to light. But the IAA here is missing the point. It's not really about refining capacity. It is about future demand. For oil. Most of the growth in future demand is for heavy products. And to get heavy products in a very economic way from a refinery, you need medium and heavy crude, and shale is not in that category. Shale is light, sweet, and super sweet, and condensates. So, whether you look at refineries or you look at the future demand, those exaggerated forecasts for shale are going to fail, and therefore, we are going to have a serious problem in the future for the following reason. If the IEA and some U.S. officials keep banging the idea that we don't need oil from Saudi Arabia, we don't need oil from the Middle East, we don't need oil from Brazil or other places because we are self-sufficient, they are scaring investors. They are scaring those countries from investing. They are scaring international companies from investing outside the United States. And then if shale is not going to deliver because of quality, then we are going to have a shortage. And that shortage is going to lead to energy crisis. And that energy crisis is self-made because of all that exaggeration. So that's shortly the issue of crude quality. But I would like to add one more point. In fact, this quality issue is two parts. a shale quality issue and then crude quality issue. Here is why. Shale wells are gassier, and they are getting gassier. If you look at the impact of that quality, shale companies are hammered today. Their stocks are hammered. Investors are running away from shale, not because of current oil prices. It's because the amount of gas and natural gas liquids that's being produced. Natural gas in the United States today is either flared, sold at a negative price, or sold at a very low price, like almost slightly below $2, which is extremely cheap. NGLs lost 50% of their value. So if you look at what is produced from a well, whatever left from a well, which is classified as... As light sweet crude is probably 45 to 55 percent that's it and the rest of the well basically has almost uh, no uh, no value and all the additions has to be exported and the only way you can export it if the differentials are high enough so there are all kind of problems with shale we already have seen it so the crude quality hit really hard last year and it will keep hitting until shale production slows down or decline.
0: Got it. Brilliant. Thanks for that. So, um, going back to, to, uh, more recent things. Oil markets are down this year and OPEC is expected to respond. What shall we expect from this? And, um, uh, is it possible that Saudi Arabia responds unilaterally? With a cut,
1: first. First of all, I I have a series of tweets that I already wrote. I'm going to tweet it uh, shortly after the program. We have a serious problem right now, and the problem is this is unprecedented crisis. And if you look at the oil market in the last 50 years, we faced a serious problem with unprecedented crisis because with unprecedented crisis, no one, even the top experts, have experience on dealing with the crisis. So. We have, in a sense, a toolbox that we resort to to solve the problems. And if people do not know how to use the toolbox, then they are going to get the wrong results and the wrong estimates. Now, some of them might get it right simply because a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> but even the economists who know how to deal with it and they know, or or at least know how to deal with the tools and which tools to use, they have a problem because they never had the experience. This is unprecedented case. And OPEC Technical Committee, which is meeting in Vienna today for the third day, just extending the two days that they agreed on to the third day shows you the problem. They heard from many experts. And the reason why they extended to the third day is... They got a spectrum, a wide spectrum of views and estimates. And all of those are experts. So you are getting something from 2 million barrels a day to 3 million barrels a day. So if experts cannot agree and the differences are big, how policymakers are going to act and respond? That's because this crisis is unprecedented. And some of the forecasts and the estimates basically are coming from people who never seen the toolbox or they never, used, never knew how to use the tools. So that's the first problem. The second problem is uh, OPEC have to be very careful. And that's why they are extending, the, taking their time right now, because they don't want to overshoot the market overshooting the market is not good for OPEC it's as bad as the surplus so they have to be very careful in this case, at the same time, we have a presidential election in the United States. So if you overshoot the market, you are going to end up with some other issues. The idea that they are flexible and they, if they overshoot the market, they can correct it. People should realize that OPEC and Saudi Arabia in particular, they care about their, their reputation. If they keep flip flopping on the issue, then no one will believe them in the future. So we have to bear that in mind. The situation right now is, whatever I say right now, this is just a guess like any other guess in the market, simply because we don't know we've never been in a situation like this. All we know that jet fuel demand declines substantially because of canceled flights. We know that there is some demand canceled because buses and other things are not running. We know that uh, some factories stopped and uh, thousands of shops being closed and people are not going to shopping malls. So that reduces demand. By how much? Well, we will not know exactly until after the fact. My estimate, and again, it is uh, just like any other estimate, so I'm not going to put any other way, any more weight on it. My estimate in February is that demand will decline by about 1.1 million barrels a day globally because of the global impact. We have to realize that the largest tourist groups in the world are coming from China. So we have very high rate of vacancies in countries like Egypt and Italy and other places where they are known for their tourism activities. And at the same time, China is a tourist destination too. So that's going to play a big role in terms of impact on spending and uh, GDP uh, growth. We can calculate most of those, but there is another problem in the market today. We have to distinguish between consumption and demand. Many of those analysts who are putting numbers out there they cannot even distinguish between the two at the end the demand of oil for china demand for oil in china may not be that low as some people are saying, for a simple fact. Yes, everything we talked about tourism, cancellation of flights, the cancellation of uh, bus tours, and all the stuff, cl- closure of stores that is consumption. But what if China stored all the surplus? Once you add the storage, that's demand. So at the end, we may not see a decline, a large decline. And therefore, Probably the most accurate uh, conclusion here is the decline in demand for oil in China is not going to be as severe as the decline in consumption in China. Got it. And that's why OPEC is very confused right now what to do, because the fear of overshooting the market is real. And on the other side, the market is going to behave in a way where if some ships basically are diverted from China, they are going to be sold somewhere else. Sure. So it is a very confusing situation. And uh, yes, I do have an estimate uh, for the decline, but I don't have faith in that estimate, just like I don't have faith in any other estimate.
0: Great. So uh, thinking a bit more ahead in the year, are your prices have come down a bit now, but uh, there's still uncertainty in the markets. Uh, as you mentioned, supply is not growing as much. We are seeing a loss of production in Libya, Venezuela, Iran. Uh, Brazil and the US should not grow as much as people think. And, uh, and this demand again, uh, after this blip in China, of course, is probably going to increase steadily, um, should actually uh, increase more now that prices came down. What are your views for oil this year and uh, what needs to happen for oil prices to go up?
1: Before I answer this question, let me point out a very important point. One of the problems why the decline in production, I think we lost about 1.6 million barrels a day from um, uh, Libya and Kazakhstan and Iraq, uh, probably about a million from Libya. The reason why the impact was uh, small and that, of course, add to the pressure on OPEC on like they cannot really take a firm decision because of all these contradictions. That Libya produces light sweet oil similar to shale. So the impact of a short of, of a cut on light sweet because we have oh, oh, most of the surplus in the world is in that quality. The impact is small. So we should not be surprised. I know a lot of people were surprised by that. That prices did not react much. But even if you look at the U.S. storage today, that's U.S. crude inventories. U.S. crude inventories are are about 40 to 50 million barrels a day above what the market need to reach equilibrium. So we have a big surplus. And you look at gasoline inventories in the United States, they are the highest ever for this period of the year. We are at record high and we are building the storage of gasoline. Why? Because we have too much shale that produces too much gasoline. So when we look at the outlook for the year, here is to say it short in short what it is. I For me, 2020 is already over. I'm focusing on 2021. And the reason why, because coronavirus is going to have its impact in the first half. And then by the second half, some of the oil producers are going to keep prices within a certain range, probably between, I'm talking about Brent here, between 60 and 65, even if fundamentals are strong, to help Trump win the election in the United States. And this is, and I would like to emphasize this point, this is not a Trump issue. It has nothing to do with Trump getting uh, his wish in lower gasoline prices in the United States. For the last 45 years, we have enough evidence to show that The global oil industry and the American oil industry are Republican industries, and they are to support a Republican president. So it's not about Trump. It's about a Republican candidate. And therefore those countries will try to help him out because the alternative from an oil point of view is extremely damaging and really bad. So to support the Trump, we might see some relaxation of the production cuts to keep prices between 60 and 65 for Brent. That will give you reasonable prices in the United States. Then we come to 2021. There where crude quality will start hitting harder and where lack of investment is going to start hitting harder and everything else. So 21 to 23 are going to be very interesting years. And uh, I am predicting a massive energy crisis. Because of the hype of shale, because of the hype of electric vehicles, because of the hype of energy efficiency, and because of the underestimation of oil demand in Europe. Uh, So there are many reasons. And for those who are interested, they can see my articles on my website or they can go to my Twitter account to see the details and the charts on this. It's really fascinating to see how wrong those long-term forecasts are and how many holes are in them. For sure, for sure. Taking advantage of your, your comment now, uh, what are
0: your views on shale? And, and also, do you see the oil sands in Canada benefiting from this situation?
1: On the first one, basically, I think for those who are interested, I think the best description is a pinned tweet on my Twitter account talking about shale is a very fat kid in the block and it needs to be shaped up. And the adults are going to help, and the adults basically are the oil majors. That's uh, Exxon, Chevron, and Shell. So once it became it become fit, uh, it will do well, and the Shell companies will do well. Once the forecasts of the IEA and OPEC and EIA fail in the coming years, and shale basically is going to be more fit, those companies have better chances at surviving and making money. As for the Canadian oil sand, again crude quality matters they are benefiting from it unfortunately it's landlocked Uh, they have very few outlets and they have to go through certain pipelines and for their growth they need more pipelines and they really need that pipeline the trans mountain pipeline uh, to the west so canadian crude can be exported uh, to asia once that crude is built the whole pricing structure of canadian oils will change in this case and Canadians have to take advantage Of the fact that Trump is talking about Energy independence and we don't need any Anyone else's oil <laughs> and do it Before another president comes in And think that Canadian oil is crucial For US energy security Got it, got it
0: So uh, all the talk of the coronavirus You think is going to fade by Well, the effects at least of the coronavirus Will fade by
1: mid-year This is unknown and whatever I said Is just one opinion among many uh, Just like uh, how the uh, trade wars impact faded. It seemed like almost and, and the gig attack in Saudi Arabia faded and the attacks on oil tankers faded. The loss of uh, Libyan oil impact faded. It seemed like everything is fading away and this would be with just one of them. That will fade away
0: do you think that the impact of IMO 2020 uh, will be felt by the market soon or or it's just going to fade
1: as well well the impact is already there I think this was one of the most misunderstood. Uh, myth last year because some people thought this would create a market for shale and they did not know that crude quality matters. We've already seen the impact in the differentials of certain products where some products basically sold at record high prices. Uh, So the impact is there and uh, uh, over time it will fade away as Uh, refiners and ships basically uh, use kind of some sort of standardized fuels because we are going through that phase right now until everything becomes standard. Got it.
0: Uh, Anas, where do you find the most value in the sector? Uh, Is it downstream, upstream, uh, companies that provide services to the sector or... Any location specific?
1: Well, one thing I learned from being in the investment community is uh, nothing stays for long. So uh, it comes in waves. Uh, so you have a wave for upstream and downstream will be not, will not do well. Then upstream will not do well and downstream will do well. So basically just monitoring those waves will benefit investors in this case.
0: Got it. In your opinion, what are the main risks of the oil markets
1: this year and uh, going forward? Well, I think the most explosive, using the IEA term here, the most explosive issue basically is going to be this crude quality. And one of the problems uh, OPEC committee that's meeting today is having is the fact that the quality of products or most of the quality of products lost in China comes from medium and heavy crude, while the, most of the lost crude in the market is coming from Libya. They are completely different markets, so they cannot count the loss of Libya against the loss of China because they are the apples and oranges. So crude quality basically is going to be the big thing, and I think this is going to hit really hard, harder than what we've seen in the past few months. Okay, okay. So, uh,
0: Anas, you you mentioned before that uh, we are heading to an energy crisis in the world. When do you think it will occur? And uh, is there a way to avoid it now or
1: or is it too late already? I think it's already written on the wall. It's engraved in stone. It's going to happen no matter what. There is nothing we can do right now because of all the development in shale and all the hype about energy efficiency and electric uh, vehicles. Uh, the problem is that, yeah, we cannot do anything about it. It's going to happen. We can mitigate it and mitigate the impact by using uh, fiscal and monetary policies or other things that are not related to the oil market. Uh, one of the issues, and I'll just mention this briefly... Almost all the numbers being published about the impact of electric vehicles. Now, I am for electric vehicles. I support electric vehicles. My forecast of electric vehicles growth is one of the highest in the market. I expect that hundreds of millions of vehicles will be on the market one day in the coming years. The problem is there is a lot of hype on their impact on the oil market. And that is a big problem. For example, uh, there, there are many reports right now out there and news stories that are saying how much electric vehicles displaced, how much oil they displaced. The problem is, if you look at how much oil electric buses in Los Angeles displaced, they give you a number. The fact is, the impact is zero because LA switched to natural gas bus- buses, the compressed natural gas, CNG, a long time ago. So how in hell those guys are counting CNG as diesel? <laughs> the same thing in China. China basically had a very large number of buses and cars running on natural gas, and they switched them to electric vehicles or electric buses. Yet they are counting all of those as if they were running on gasoline and diesel. So there is a lot of exaggeration on the impact of electric vehicles and electric buses on the demand for oil. At the same time, if you look at the forecast, long-term forecast in 2007-2008, everyone was jumping on the natural gas wagon Everyone was talking about how wonderful natural gas is to run buses and equipment and cars on it. There was a big wave. And the IEA itself, basically, and the EIA were forecasting how, uh, forecasting the massive growth in the use of natural gas in transportation. And they lowered the forecast for, for oil based on that. All we see right now is the demand for electric vehicles basically are displacing all the forecasts for natural gas. It's not an addition to what was forecasted in the past. And therefore, the forecast of oil demand in the future, in the next 20 years, uh, is, is false. They are under, underestimating demand for oil significantly, and if shale is not going to deliver, we are going to have a big gap. How we are going to fill it? They already scared investors. They scared oil-producing countries because of the massive growth in shale. So we are going to hit. Uh, we are going to reach a time when the gap between supply and demand is going to be very high. Got it.
0: Anas, again, it was a pleasure to talk to you and thank you for coming to this program and sharing your insights with us.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: Yeah, I know you are in Dubai today and you, you have a busy schedule in the Middle East this week and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. You're welcome. If you like this podcast, feel free to forward it to your friends and colleagues. We appreciate your time, support and your feedback. You can follow Marcelo Lopez on Twitter at MALopez1975. The information presented here is not investment advice and should not be taken as such. You should do your own due diligence and consult with your financial advisor before doing anything suggested or mentioned in this podcast. L2 Capital and its partners will not be liable for any losses that occur in doing whatever is discussed in this podcast.